passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Rewind A Raw, where for the next uh however long the show is going to last, Way and I are going to engage in hide and go seek. Hide and go seek over um Skype? We're going to play with some different rules. Uh, WWE has hidden the ways to promote this pay-per-view on Sunday, and throughout the next 90 minutes, we are going to seek those reasons out. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Sounds like a tough game. Too tough for us. How are you otherwise? Doing all right, John. Yeah, not so bad. Pretty good. You weren't trapped in any boxes tonight. You didn't get set on fire. You didn't uh, transport yourself outside of said box into your alter ego. No, not today. Not today. It is Monday. Week has many days in it. Well, uh, there was a lot of stuff going down this past weekend. Did you did you catch a lot from the past weekend? Any any wrestling? Yeah, I might have caught uh, a bit of uh, just the Kenny Omega involvement in both uh, AAA uh, as well as the Impact show. I saw a bit of some of that. Um, So the rest, I I really caught up through the reports on the website. Some great reports uh, on the website. Everything was was covered very thoroughly. There was uh, an unbelievable fight on the UFC 256 card in the main event between uh, Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. A majority draw, but... Not too many people were upset with that outcome because it looks like they'll probably have a rematch in 2021. The Kenny Omega. Not in Laredo. three we- oh, Well, maybe in three weeks. <laughs> Give him at least five. That was quite the war that they had on on Saturday. Mm, okay. Um, Kenny Omega, Laredo Kid, I thought was a spectacular match. I, I really enjoyed that match uh, quite a lot. Um, and I finally caught up and watched the, uh, the Hiromu Takahashi El Desperado match from Friday. Yeah, yeah, some great wrestling over the past week. But uh, what did you think of that match? It was um, 
I, I thought it was a very strong match. And then th- those final five minutes were just so dramatic. Like you want to talk about a, um, a real star making elevation of El Desperado. That's what that felt like. Like Hiromu wins. He moves on to everything at Wrestle Kingdom, but God, did Desperado feel like a made star by the end of that match. And I mean, what a, what an ego bump for this guy to not only seek all this praise online, got a, got five whole stars at a WH park, but the sidebar is like everyone looking at this guy and being like, what a handsome individual this man is. I, this guy's got to be on top of the world after Friday. That's always nice. You know, when uh, somebody unmasks and you realize that they're actually good looking, um, it's it's almost you like... Imagine you go online, you're on the high of a big match, and you just look at your mentions <laughs> and it's, yikes. I sure think... you want to do that? <laughs> well, I think when we think of masked wrestlers, we just somehow expect the worst. Like, there's got to be a reason why you're wearing a mask. Okay, and so I think we just expect all masked wrestlers to to be hideously just grotesque, and whether or not, I mean, look, I think he's an average, okay, maybe above average, you know, slightly above average looking man, but you know, above average for a masked wrestler is, I mean, that's male model basically. Yeah, I mean, it it can go, it can go many ways for you. I mean, for some, it's uh. You know, you're under a mask for so long, like people's imaginations go wild. And typically, I mean, you're talking about, you know, your your luchadors that will spend a career under a mask and then cash in for that big unmasking. It's like, you know, wear and tear and age can be difficult opponents for you. You finally unmask and you, you just hope the uh, the emotion will override the fact that, you know, guy's 55 or something. So the key really to, is to unmask before, you, you know, you really kind of. Like, really, things really fall off the rails while you're still, you know, okay looking. Desperado did it in his prime, so mm-hmm. good for him. I'm I'm curious to see what is what is next for for that character, because I think he should come out of this as, you know, it feels like him and Hiromu should be, like, the chief rivals of this junior heavyweight division. And, I mean, even if we're looking down the road of Hiromu maybe moving himself up to the heavyweight division, that Desperado, I think he'll have a big 2021. He's certainly ending it on a high note. I hope so. I mean, I think that division in itself, you know, needs a constant elevation of new stars. Um, this past tournament, even though I'm sure all the matches have been really great, I've heard very little buzz about it. So uh, certainly at least, you know, this great main event for the final, um, at least, you know, seems like it was very productive in that sense. So I, uh, do you think he keeps the mask? Desperado? Yeah. No, I think he should be unmasked from this point forward. It doesn't seem like to me like it's, it might be permanent unmasking. He seems like a guy who just like would wear it regardless. And then you could just take it off every single match. I guess. I guess. We'll, we'll see what, what the next step is. I think it would be... I, I hope it's not like... This should not be like a regression where he goes right back as the masked Desperado character. Like this did feel like a big um, elevation of the character itself. You could do things with the mask and not completely abandon it or or you could and it's like a fresh start for him under his real name in the new year sure well that went down i did not get to see any of the super jacob but there's a, a great review from a wh park along with a joey bay on post pro res i thought a great show with those two i just uh i really enjoyed listening to them two hours and man flew by a lot quicker than tonight's entertainment a whole lot covered in the, those two hours uh, a lot over the past month uh, in Japanese wrestling. Also, John Cena has a written report up on the site as well from that show. 
John Cena was a very busy man on Saturday. The guy sat down to watch Final Resolution, pumped out a report, and then boom, throw on the Super Jacob. The man, an Iron Man, is one John Cena. The, uh, sure, the Iron Man of post-wrestling, yeah. Um, we've also got uh, any, anything else from the past weekend that uh, jumps out at you? Anything I'm missing? Um, not, not a whole lot, no. My favorite, my favorite show, though. Total Recall. Yes, of course, yes. The return of uh, our Bella's podcast that I do with my fiance Pauline. Uh, yeah, we just did one on Sunday night. That's on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed. You know, uh, Brian was not doing mushrooms. This was all I was of, of interest uh, to me was <laughs> finding out about this. And you, in fact, revealed that this was a prank played by Brian Danielson. Slightly disappointing, but how did it come off? Uh, they, <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think Nikki and Bree are even aware. For, the The joke was that they were visiting a shaman, he and Artem, and, you know, upon their return, they were going to prank their wives by telling them that they were doing ayahuasca. And, um, B- Nikki and Bree could barely pronounce the word. Like, yeah. So I think they were, they were concerned, but it also seemed like very manufactured, like reality TV concern. So, I mean, in the end, it just ended up being a really big joke. The big Brian Danielson moment of the two episodes, however, was in episode four where like, um, so the story is, you know, because Nikki has been pregnant, um, <laughs> Nikki's been walking around the house, like in the nude a whole lot more. And it's made Artem, you know, a man who's grown up culturally very different from Nikki Bella, uh, somewhat uncomfortable, you know, especially because, like, you know, she's in the backyard where, like, she he's afraid, like, neighbors might see and all that. The camera crew might catch her? Oh, the camera crew did catch her, yeah. They were, like, I, I say that facetiously. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's afraid of hidden cameras. These men that are just, I presume, <laughs> men just staring around with, like, a camera crew. It's like, if you were a legit neighbor watching this, it's more strange, not so much that the woman's nude, it's that it's in front of a whole crew. Very During true. a pandemic. What's yes. going on over there? Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, the story gets a little deeper because Nikki reveals, a, you know, part of the reason why she's been, been trying to, you know, at least um, be a bit more sexual around the house is because... Her and Artem have been, their sex life has certainly been affected by the pregnancy. Artem reveals that it's, you know, he thinks it's weird. Uh, he has a bit of a hang up about like, you know, having sex while, while his wife is pregnant, I guess. And in, in for the rescue. <laughs> I've listened um, to the show, so I know where this is going. So I enjoy your re- repetition of the story. In for the rescue. Who else? But, um... <laughs> The American dragon, Brian Danielson, who has like a heart, to, who Brie tells to go have a heart to heart with Artem about, um, about this, this topic. And Brian, you know, was, was very helpful talking about his past experiences. He too thought it was weird at one time, but, um, in fact, you know, sex during a pregnancy is actually helpful for a child. So, or sorry, helpful for, yeah, helpful for the birth of the child. So anyway. It, that part was the best. Just like anyway, it's it, it's a show that continues to, you know, uh, be very educational and and be somewhat entertaining. I look forward to hopefully we get whether it be a future Brian Danielson podcast, another Daniel Bryan book, something where he can re- once total Bellas, total divas. It's all in the rearview mirror. 
And he can sit down. I, I don't buy for a fact that this guy is doing any of this kicking and screaming. I think he has a great enjoyment of this because there's no way um, that, that you could just continually, season after season, uh, subject yourself to such a, an intrusion, like where you're uh, so monitored. I mean, scripted, not scripted. This is like you are under a microscope and presenting that. That I can't buy that this is just a complete inconvenience for him. I think the man has to enjoy this at some level. Maybe, perhaps, yeah. I, I mean, I imagine he he loves it because his wife loves it. And, you know, perhaps it, like he sees some merit in being able to share some of these stories with, with the public. And, um, yeah. But would me... you love it by, like, the eighth season? Like, by this point, you're like, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm is sure it, uh... I'm sure there are moments where it's really difficult. Like he's, you know, the, the show's kind of hit, hit on that several several times. But um I you know, like they also revealed on this episode that like the man carries with him about a thousand unread texts at like any sort of given time. So uh whether or not how much like the social media follow from these shows ever affects him, I'm I mean I'm, I'm maybe maybe it doesn't at all because he never checks. Well, you should all check out Total Recall available on the post wrestling cafe. Um, why don't we get some plugs out of the way? Way and I are on the two, uh, the 100th episode of the true North nerds podcast. Uh, we were chatting with our friend Brent Chittenden. Uh, Nate Milton is also a guest on this show. Technically, John, we were on part two of episode of part- 100. So, so I we think- were on episode 100.5. Uh, if you want to call it that, I mean, I think technically Brent told us that like he's done specials. So this is probably really a episode 165 or something like that. Oh, okay. So we'll call it 100 part two. Okay. 100 part (laughs) two. Uh, we're on that. Um, anything else to note? (laughs) Well, that's all we're on this, this week. If if you're talking about that, but if you're talking, I I was on, uh, wrestle talk, uh, radio today. Oh, you were uh, on a uh, talk sport uh, with Alex McCarthy and, and crew. I uh, had a great, uh, a great discussion just about the, uh, the current news. So you can go uh, check that out. Uh, fun, fun discussion. Very nice. Any other appearances coming up or prior? Oh boy. Uh, off the top of my head. No, it's like, I'm, I'm very hard to get to. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's about all that that's coming up. I think you're the one that's in more demand than me. Well, uh, thankfully I've been able to book you for tomorrow's edition of Ask away also on the post wrestling cafe. It is our monthly mailbag. And I can actually tell you probably the last mailbag we'll be doing uh, until February because next month we'll be preempted for some of our holiday special programming. So if you have a question, make sure you get it in right now tonight before noon on Tuesday when we'll likely record. So we'll be doing that. Also, Davey and Andrew Thompson will be back for another bonus impact review. The great response to last week's show. So tomorrow on the Up Next feed and also perhaps later uh, in the morning on Post Wrestling, uh, you will get that for absolutely free. Yes, I think they're going to keep at it. As long as Kenny Omega is showing up on Impact, I think they're going to continue with it. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, on Wednesday, we'll have our regular Up Next Rewinded Dynamite one-two punch coming at you. On Thursday, it's more of Andrew Thompson. It's Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure. This week's adventure is King of Pro Wrestling 2016 featuring Kazuchika Okada and Naomichi Marafuji. This during the the brief period that New Japan and Noah uh, were working together with Noah involvement in both the G1 that prior summer and then into King of Pro Wrestling. Very cool. And then on Thursday, sorry, on Friday, 
We've got Rewind of SmackDown, again, live this week at 10.30 p.m. Eastern for CAFE members. The reason why we're delaying it slightly is so we can wait for ROH Final Battle to wrap up so that we can have a special report from John Cena on the show towards the end of the evening. So join us for that. Sunday, it's the WWE TLC post show with me and John, which is live for Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso Patrons. So uh, all that in a very busy week, as always, on Post Wrestling. That's right. We'll be live after TLC immediately after for our Double Double Ice Cap and Espresso members of the cafe. And I also want to make mention that the deadline for the annual Christmas Jingle Contest is this Thursday at noon Eastern. Submit your jingles either at the thread uh, at forum.postwrestling.com. It is uh, pinned at the top. Or you could email it to john at postwrestling.com. We will play all of the entries and Wei and I will assess the jingles and announce the winner for the 2002-2020 holiday season. We're not traveling back. It's just like... Christmas is next week, man. It's it just feels like everything is a a blur. Yeah, that means Christmas, the end of the year. Christmas is, is in ten days. That means the end of the year is pretty much like two weeks away. Yeah, it's going to be two thousand twenty one, where everyone magically believes that we are going to change the year and everything's going to be normal. The like, air is going to be like smell better. Water is going to taste better. Um, it's like I I don't know what people are expecting on January first. I think it's I think there's going to be a lot of carryover from this year into 2021. But hey, optimism is wonderful. Optimism always helps. Yeah. Okay. So lots of uh lots of big stuff coming up. Not to mention all of our our year end stuff. It's going to be a uh, coming out over the next few weeks. Best of, worst of. Christmas show will drop on Christmas Eve. So lots of cool stuff to look forward to. Uh, but. We are now going to look forward to the news. We already went over some of the highlights from the past weekend. And SmackDown, uh, ratings have been delayed. So a national crisis uh, going down that SmackDown numbers are delayed. But if you're listening to this, guess what, folks? I got your Canadian numbers for you. 242,000 people watching SmackDown on Friday night on Sportsnet 360. Uh, That translates to... 119,800 in the 25 to 54 demographic, which is uh, the prize demo here north of the border. You NXT, and I amongst that group. We're in that demo way. We are in the coveted demos in the U.S. and Canada. So forget the, Niel- forget the Nielsen's. I think the Canadian numbers really is what everybody should be fighting over. Yes. NXT on Friday, the, the one-hour condensed version, which is a lead-in for SmackDown here in Canada, doing 72,300. And main event, which follows SmackDown, drawing 64,500. Uh, so I guess the, the tease of Jackson Riker's return to TV, not enough in Canada to uh, put main event ahead of NXT. Oh, wait till you see tonight's numbers. We'll have to see. Man, imagine, imagine those quarters. How about a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of that? Well... We could only hope for a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of uh, the raw numbers, such as we got on Saturday with a uh, friend of the site, Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, and Chris Harrington, AEW executive Chris Harrington. I thought this was just such a unique and fascinating discussion and a level of uh, transparency from a from a company that you'll rarely get and chris harrington i mean to his credit was very open of the fact that you know we are choosing this week to be so open with our numbers because they make us look really good this week it was a (laughs) tremendous week for them and he didn't just sit down to talk about the numbers he literally shared his excel sheet which 
I mean, one of my great misses in life is not learning Excel at a younger age where I think it could have, like, I look at this, it's like, I wish I had this skill set. If people could see the, the way of which I track data, it would be like, how do you do this? Um, but nonetheless, Chris, abacus um, on your desk. I'm not that far away from that. Um, but anyway, like Chris went through all the quarters. He had literally the minute-by-minute minute breakdowns, some fascinating info just about the the impact when they go to picture-in-picture, picture, the amount of picture-in-picture picture content they have in comparison to NXT far greater that AEW utilizes that technology and like where the dips occur, where you know the 18 to 49 numbers are in comparison to the uh, the – at the overall viewership as well with comparisons to NXT it's if you're interested in that kind of it, that info and data i highly highly recommend watching this just for an understanding from someone whose job is literally to comb through all of these numbers make sense of them and what what trends he's been able to learn monitoring all of this uh television information that we talk about so much if that's not quite your jam it's um probably going to be dry content but i found it really interesting and educational too you know it's it's a reminder to me that i think you know for all the online uh discussion and hoopla that's out there every thursday whenever these numbers come out the arguments and the discussions go way deeper than simply you know how many people are watching this week versus how many people are watching last week or how many people are watching this show versus that show um, it's way more complicated and then even just talking about the prime demo. So, uh, obviously, you know, a great, great resource, I think to anybody who wants to engage in discussions like these to know, um, what to look for, perhaps, you know, I mean, most of the data, I don't think we'll have any access to in weeks to come, but just to simply know, like some of the things that somebody, an executive from one of these companies who's engaged in this quote unquote war every single week, what they look for, I found really fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you think like, minute by minute data is overwhelming. I mean, Nielsen is looking to, uh, over the next while introduce second by second data. Oh God. You imagine that Excel sheet. What was the peak second of dynamite? <laughs> it was actually, uh, uh, the pan across the audience before it, uh, locked on sting. <laughs> we got, we got a 20 person bump. During, this uh, camera second, cut 6,800. This camera cut gained us five, viewers <laughs> the hard cam is <laughs> over so anyway uh again go check out the wrestlenomics youtube it's a it's a really uh, great discussion that that the two had and it uh <laughs> they're on twitch came together too. pretty quick i understand like it was pretty much just kind of a out of the blue uh discussion that they ended up uh putting out on on saturday but i, I think it's also you know from just a larger sense like yes aew had had a lot to kind of pat themselves on the back with wednesday night but I mean, it's still to me pretty astounding to see uh, a company just be so forthcoming with 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 data su such as that. Definitely, yeah, I was definitely surprised to see it because some of this information, if you know, a company chose to keep kind of within themselves, it's it's uh, I could understand it. Let's also mention the fact that, um, uh, of course, um, Chris Harrington is founder, co-founder of. Is he a founder solely, or or was he? Did he co-found it with uh, uh, Brandon Thurston? He Chris started. Uh, yeah, it was like Indeed Wrestling, and out of that you had 
WrestleNomics. Right. So founder of WrestleNomics who, you know, and, and eventually passed out, passed on to his partner, uh, Brandon Thurston. So, you know, they have that relationship there. This is a forum that, you know, discusses this type of content every single week and who better than Brandon to be able to help us navigate all of it with Chris, right? So it's information that is very interesting to the audience. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, up until this point, I think AEW has tried to maintain very good, a very good relationship with the audience that really helped create it and really is responsible for its success. And I think they have to understand that this type of engagement, even on a level like this, only makes somebody potentially a bigger fan of the product. So um, that to me is really fascinating that we're, you know, trying to engage audiences, not just with in-ring content, but really deep behind the scenes, you know, uh, data as well. Yes. And uh, a note from that interview was the fact that the the peak, I guess, peak minute of the show was a million two hundred and one thousand viewers coming right at the end of the Sting segment. And on Monday, AEW announcing that Sting will be appearing on Wednesday's episode of Dynamite. So, you know, week one, it was the big surprise. Week two was a home run for the company, numbers-wise. What are you expecting week three when it comes to the the Sting experiment? Oh, man. Um... What, what do you think needs to be achieved this Wednesday? Like, do you can you get by just from promoting the appearance uh, and can you get away with a segment like last week where it was more so just, hey, it's Sting without a whole lot of substance attached to it? Honestly, I thought last week we would see a dip um, like because they didn't have that strong main event. Certainly that you had a lot more buzz going into last week's show because of Sting, because of the impact, uh, what is it, uh, Omega stuff. So I maybe it's the pessimist in me that's always expecting, you know, finally, OK, this thing's going to be dropping. So that is <laughs> perhaps still what I'm expecting this Wednesday. But if, you know, like these numbers wouldn't really shock me if they went the other direction. Well, in addition to Sting's appearance, which is the biggest thing announced, they also have Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian against the acclaimed. A six-man tag with Hangman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against Matt Hardy and Private Party. Cody Rhodes against Angelico. Serena Deeb and Big Swole against Diamante and Ivelisse and a seven-on-seven tag with the entire inner circle against Best Friends, the Varsity Blondes, Brandon Cutler, and Top Flight. Seven-on-seven. Fourteen people in that ring. Correct. Let's see how it turns out. I mean... It's a lot of bodies. It's a visual. It's certainly a visual that will will stand out, and uh, we'll see. I mean, seven-on-seven. Those can be a mess, or they could have something really mapped out and I mean you've got a lot of interesting talent in there especially with you know top flight that had that that great introduction with the young bucks and this is kind of that, that their their follow up several weeks removed it's a it's a real chance for you know a lot of perhaps um I don't know underexposed talent to like at least get a brief spotlight uh, conversely, NXT on Wednesday night, they'll be countering with uh, Karrion Cross in action. So his first match since uh, injuring himself at the TakeOver in August. A tag match with Leon Ruff and Kushida against Austin Theory and Johnny Gargano. Rhea Ripley against Tony Storm. And the match that I am most looking forward to this week, Kyle O'Reilly versus Pete Dunne. That sounds awesome. And of course, the latest chapter in the Boa Sayali saga. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Oh, what what is next for Boa and Xylem? Uh, I've been enjoying uh, those. I think they're so well produced. I think the acting in them is pretty good. Um they're certainly like somewhat ridiculous especially, you know, compared to most of what you see on NXT, but 
I I I I I I remain optimistic for that. Uh, final thing to note here is that New Japan has updated its cards for Wrestle Kingdom, which again we are not that far away from. Uh, this is the updated card for January 4th, led by Tetsuya Naito and Kota Ibushi for the double championship, Kazuchika Okada against Will Ospreay. And now it's official, the Gorillas of Destiny, after winning the World Tag League, will challenge Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi. Hiromu Takahashi will take on El Fantasmo, with the winner getting the junior heavyweight title shot the next night. Uh, this after Hiromu won the best of the Super Juniors, Fantasmo won the J-Cup, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Drumroll... The great Okan. Major, major test for Okan. Um, I do not get the, like, the destruction of Hiroshi Tanahashi that it seems that he is going through right now after the booking of the Tag League and what feels to me like they are serving him up on a platter here for the great Okan at Wrestle Kingdom. Perhaps. Um, you know, it's certainly... It's to the point I would be genuinely surprised if Tanahashi won this match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they must have a lot of faith in Okan's future. Um, but, you know, let's remember it's a two-night event. Maybe Tanahashi will kind of have, have his big comeback moment, even if he does lose to Okan. Uh, is that match on the first night or the second night? Night one. So on the second night, he still can do something, I guess, more significant of note. But, um, you know, it's you have a lot of matches, and, and at least this one's somewhat fresh. The second night, uh, it's Jay White challenging for the double championship against either Naito or Ibushi. The junior heavyweight championship match with Taiji Ishimori against either Hiromu or El Fantasmo. Never openweight championship match. We'll see Shingo Takagi defend against Jeff Cobb, which should be a pretty outstanding match. And Evil against Sonata. Yes, yes. A match that I've seen, you know, receive a, a, a certain level of boos or at least groans from the audience who might be kind of sick of that feud already. But um, it's a two-night event, at least, you know, on the surface right now. I don't know if it's an event that justifies two nights, or at least a card or a roster that justifies two nights. Um, from my perspective, I think it certainly needs a whole lot more to, you know, match maybe even my excitement level from as last year's. Yeah, I think that we're at a point where, yeah, I, th I think between the two, granted, we, we don't have the full cards yet, and mm. it... You know, there, there's certainly going to be some outstanding wrestling on these shows, but it's, you know, two nights, it's it's a big ask. It's, you know, under unique circumstances as well of how many they can even fill in the dome each night. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly going to be a test. I don't think it's a fair comparison to this past year, but it is, you know, it's still your, your two big shows of the year. And you'd hate to see kind of any, any kind of watered down versions of Wrestle Kingdom and... We'll see. A lot of this, I think, hinges on on the booking of this and what are the, the key moments coming out of the shows. Mm -hmm. All right. All of your news you can find up at postwrestling.com. And we now move on over to Oh, by the way, uh, a oh. quick plug for you, John. Great update uh, today. You spent a lot of time talking about WWE Untold Goldberg documentary. A little, like, great kind of, like write up and uh, about your thoughts as well as some of the other backstories surrounding it. I did not know that whole Mike Tenet thing was a last minute edition. Yeah. So um, have you seen the, the piece yet or no? Yes. Okay. So last week, uh, Dave Meltzer was starting to, um, he was tweeting about the fact that he was on the phone with Mike Tenet when Tenet kind of pitched the idea of the Goldberg streak to Dave and 
Dave was, I guess, unaware if that was going to be included in the documentary or not, but it should be because Tanay is the one who legitimately was the one who came up with the idea. And last Tuesday, um, Dave had this update that Mike Tanay was contacted and they ended up inserting a piece. Uh, they didn't use Mike Tanay, uh, but it, it appears from watching the documentary, I don't know as for a fact, but that they had, uh, they just did a sit down interview with Matt Camp, who's one of the uh, hosts of The Bump, and he was used as the talking head to explain uh, Tanay's involvement. And it really did fe- feel like it was just plopped into there. But I also give credit the fact that. They could have easily said this thing is this thing is cut. It is ready to air. Who cares? They didn't have that attitude. They wanted to have the right po- portion of the story in there with Mike Tanay's involvement, and they got it in there. So I I think they deserve credit for wanting the story to be told a- as accurately as you can convey. Agreed. Yeah, I was surprised to know that. I mean, first I was actually surprised to see it in there, and then to know that it was a late addition to it. Um, I mean, it tells me that they at least have a reverence for, I think, I mean, some semblance of truth, if not at least, you know, the public, um, the internet audience's reception to it, because certainly if that was not there, I'm sure Dave would have, you know, continued to call it out. And I think a lot of people obviously respect Dave's opinion about historical facts like that. So, um, it, it was nice to see. Yeah. It's, um, the, the key people interviewed, of course they had Goldberg, I guess Kevin Nash, um, is kind of placed into the position where i mean he is someone that he looked I mean, miserable doing that interview like, well they include like the like the dialogue with whoever was i guess conducting the interview who pretty much just said like the setup was this must have been done at the survivor series a few weeks ago when he was there for the undertaker ceremony of you know we're just going to be strolling down a uh, memory lane about uh the streak and uh all that stuff and you could just see like this was a guy that felt like he was uh he was being attacked. Ho- he was like under hostage uh here and you know Nash has taken a lot of criticism for uh his role in this like he defended himself saying I wasn't even officially the booker at this time whether he had any input or not I guess that's up for uh debate but he was not technically booking WCW when Starcade took place in 98. But I mean, one of the things that I wrote about is that like, this is a time period when yes, WWF has moved ahead ratings wise, but WCW, even as their creative was, you know, certainly taking a major dip by this point in 98, their arena business was on fire and they did a series of nitros within this four, four week period uh, that culminated with that Georgia Dome show that drew 38,000 people. And that was preceded by two Dome Nitro events. Like, think about that. Their television show, they're running stadiums and drawing enormous figures to the Astrodome, the TWA Dome, and then the Georgia Dome. And you end the Georgia Dome show with that finger poke of doom. And, mm-hmm. I mean, th- it's just so clear the result that that had on that market because – Six months later, they come back to the Georgia Dome and they draw significantly less. And and it was like, yes, you got to 1999 and like business was very – it was their best year in 98. And I'm not saying you can't end the streak, but they had no solid follow-up with Goldberg. And to me, it w- it was one of the big reasons. And that January 4th, 1999 episode of Nitro, I thought that that is the – if you want to point out one night – where 
the the momentum significantly shifted and you went into that new year, WCW was in a lot of trouble and Goldberg was he he fell into their lap and yes, they got him to this point, but it was some horrible decision making that uh followed that end of the streak. So you're looking for a part 2, maybe even a part 3 of of this uh I guess, you know, further telling of WCW's collapse. I mean, it's I mean, it, it it's been talked about forever. Um but it is I mean, it is astounding when you're looking at where they were in December of 98 and where they are a year after that and then 2 years after that and and then shortly after out of business. Like it is no matter how many times you go through the history of it, it's still, it's astounding. It was a good watch. I recommend it. Okay, Raw. We'll find out at the end of this show if uh, Way's going to recommend this show. Maybe he will. Tonight's show is going to lead up to the Ascension Ceremony involving Drew McIntyre and AJ Styles, where Connor and Victor would be raised to the ceiling. I did not expect that. I thought they weren't in the company anymore. Like suddenly in the main event, it was a bra. It was weird. You need new ideas where we're going into a new generation. The dirt sheet started the show, including the Howard Finkel intro that they have. And we have a holiday themed set in the ring as the Miz started reading the nightmare before TLC. And I, I don't want to come off as just a, uh, Negative right out of the gate, but two minutes into this show, I hit pause. I was not ready for this. <laughs> I sat here so unproductive, just like going through anything but raw. And I sat here for 30 minutes straight before I hit unpause. I just was not in the state to start this show yet. <laughs> as soon as you saw like the, the, the name of this book. That Miz this woman. this visual, I didn't even need a word out of the Miz's mouth. Just looking at this set, this scene, I wasn't mentally ready for this. I literally had to build up for it. And it took me a half hour of just sitting in this chair before I finally hit unpause and continued. A bit of meditating, you know, maybe, um, I don't know, like shower. Whatever Artem and Brian were on, that's what I needed. Um... Talk about pregnancy sex? I was looking for the ayahuasca. Oh, right. So The Miz promotes that this Thursday is the final new episode of Miz and Mrs. for the year. No reviews of that coming your way? I don't think so. Okay. And tonight, we're going to get a handicap match with The Miz and... Uh, with the I almost said The Miz and Mrs. The Miz and Morrison against Keith Lee. Maurice versus Keith Lee would have been infinitely more interesting. So he reads. He would have been competitive, I think. It might have been. Uh, he reads the book, snaps his fingers as AJ the mannequin appears under a spotlight in the ring. This was blocked so well. This was our uh, wonderfully blocked scene. Omos is on the floor, but then they turn the lights out on him. Morrison then appears dressed as Braveheart. So many listeners are, man, what did I miss? They do a mock TLC match that belonged on YouTube with children. It reminded me of a medieval times dinner and tournament. You know, it was a, certainly a medieval times dinner and tournament quality level of sword fight. 
AJ says, chivalry is dead, like your title reign, as he proceeds to stab Morrison repeatedly. And the Miz started to read the words, when there rose such a clatter from the man who believes the world is flatter. <laughs> I missed that. Did he actually say that? No, he didn't say that oh, last Oh, God, part, that's really good. Was, uh, Man, <laughs> the rhyme is so good, John. I keep oh, it, dude, I wrote it down. I was like, this was like, <laughs> it just fell out of the fell out of the skies. Oh, brilliant. I wish it I is, didn't even expose it. I, I wish people, <laughs> we should have left people thinking that that was actually the case. <laughs> uh, the Miz reads about cashing in on AJ. He's not happy about this uh, change in the story. <laughs> And then Seamus interrupts and calls this appropriately community theater. Tease up our match. AJ attacks him with a Christmas tree. And then an empty present is thrown at AJ. And the man takes a bump from it, which would be the second most ridiculous bump that AJ's had to take because uh, Dixie's husband, Serge, once punched him and he had to fall down from that. Okay, listen, I know, I know most, almost everybody listening to this who watched this probably hated all this. I have to defend it in at, in the, at the very least to tell you, to say that so often on these WWE main roster shows, I have to sit through segment after segment that are just completely meaningless with very little thought put into them. They're either very formulaic or oftentimes completely nonsensical and a complete waste of my time. This, on the other hand, I thought there was a good level of effort and pre-planning put into it. And because of the nature of the of the skit, they had to stick to that plan. And overall, I thought it was a a good effort at creating a cute, you know, entertaining segment. Not for everybody, but I think um, I respected the level of production involved. This one missed me, but I, I don't have the energy to uh, to counter you. If hey, if this if this landed for people, great. It was um, it was something. It was definitely something. And he gave me that rose such a clatter line. So I can't say this was a throwaway. Or you made it better for sure. Well, thank you. That took us to AJ Styles and Seamus. Seamus and Drew are not going to be fined because Pat Buck shouldn't have gotten involved last week in their brawl backstage. Um, okay. So... The next time way that we can meet in person and we get into one of our brawls in the street and a police officer comes by and we put him through a table, we've got this alibi. Not alibi. This excuse. Noted. The Pat Buck rule. So it's all Seamus. He throws AJ around, almost saves AJ and has a stare down with Seamus we go through the commercial. AJ's working on the knee and gets stopped by an Irish curse backbreaker, but Seamus used the injured knee in executing it and then lands a pump knee with the good knee. There's a flying clothesline, comes off the shoulders, and AJ goes to the calf crusher. There's a rope break, and we cut to Omos, who is just encouraging AJ. Come on, brother. Come on. Cut away from Omos. Sheamus lifts him up on the turnbuckle, but Styles hops off, chops the knee, and stacks up Sheamus in fifteen fifty three. This was a almost mirror finish to Lana and Nia Jax later. 
a little bit different in uh, overall quality, but very similar with one on the turnbuckle, knee injury, stacked them for the pin, and AJ wins. Kind of similar, yeah. Uh, but, you know, different heel babyface dynamic. I thought it was an all right match. You know, psychologically, I thought it was perfectly sound. But, I mean, like with a lot of these matches on Raw, that even though they're long, like 80% of the top of it is all pretty boring and dull with few moments that stand out. They all have to take at, take take place at a certain pace um, and then they might speed up for the finish. But, you know, the finish even in this match was just kind of meh, you know. I thought the Seamus leg injury and the post-match angle were well done. But the match itself, I, I, I thought it was fine. Usually when someone wins going into the pay-per-view, they acquire a, a intangible. Saxton noted that Styles has the bragging rights. And I'm starting to say to myself, okay, well, there you go. That's what he's going into the pay-per-view with. Not completely insurmountable for Drew, but nonetheless, bragging rights belong to AJ. But then Tom Phillips noted that he also has momentum. And that may be too much for Drew McIntyre. It's a big mo, man. It's, um, you know, and bragging rights. Somebody, somebody should make an Excel sheet of that, you know, charting momentum and, and, and how much momentum factors into somebody's success rate at the pay-per-view. Someone could create uh, an equation. Bragging rights time moment, times momentum uh, divided by the impact of the knee injury that we would see later on to Drew. What does that equal for AJ's chances? Mm. Styles points at Sheamus, who grabs at AJ, but almost... Ties up Sheamus. He is upside down with his leg caught in the rope. And AJ proceeds to kick him and almost hands over a chair. And then we got some of the most sickening sounding chair shots to the body of Sheamus, to the knee of Sheamus. And just when you think there's no more left, Styles, dude, this guy was having batting practice on this guy's chest. They... God bless Seamus if he said to just rock me with these because these chair shots looked and sounded horrifying. Seamus definitely strikes me as somebody who would say that. Um, so, yeah, if you know, you could definitely feel every, every one of these chair shots through the screen. I thought it was a good post-match angle. This guy's Instagram is going to be graphic later this week if we see what this guy looked like Tuesday morning. I'm sure he's playing with the photos right, or taking the pictures right now, playing with the contrast. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it probably won't be that pretty, but you know, I have to say, I think this continues to be a pretty good run for Seamus to me. He's certainly his best baby face run that I can recall. I think he's done a good job playing Drew's best friend. And even now where he's at the level where you can kind of use an attack on him to, I thought they were going to use this attack to make Drew angry, but I guess they've got a thing where, you know, they, they let each other kind of get attacked and don't really help out. I thought that this segment had that um, that added layer to it. That where was Drew for this this whole beatdown? But he he's missed out on like Seamus attacks before, and then in the back they're just like, "Oh, you really took a beating there." Uh, they don't really. Well, all that. you need all you need is one that is Seamus's justification for for the turn down the road, and mm-hmm. you can look back at this, and, you know, they should play up the injuries sustained by Sheamus during this segment, and 
I think you have to come up with a competent reason for Drew, who is your babyface in that equation, to explain why he wasn't here for his friend, who's just getting absolutely destroyed here. It's two on one. Yeah. On the other hand, I mean, I almost felt like this in because Drew didn't reference it in the end. I almost got the sense that this was just done to get Sheamus out of the way for Drew's attack at the end uh, in the main event. So um, they both kind of have Sheamus has more of a valid excuse than Drew does. The Hurt Business uh, bullied some dude in catering earlier in the day. This total idiot eating a bro nut, wearing a riddle hat. They shoved him around. And then it culminated with Bobby Lashley pouring the world's largest carton of milk that just never stopped pouring out milk. It was comical. Oh, it was a full two liters. I mean, like it just it just never stopped. It was just nonstop milk. Uh, yeah, it was a constant flow of dairy, and like this guy just stands there and takes it. Now, what makes it even more comical? Lashley spills like at least all over him. Like he looked ridiculous. Half a liter of that milk on himself. So what an idiot! He's gonna have to be sitting in that milk all day. He's probably gonna have to pay for that dry cleaning for his own suit after. Have to like drop it off and pick it up. It's like. He really played himself for this for this little kind of intimidation game. It was just ridiculous. The promo continues to where Sarah Schreiber is interviewing MVP and Lashley is too busy fix, tending to his suit that's got dairy all over it here. Uh, MVP says that Riddle can't even string together a coherent sentence, much less be focused on tonight's match. And I think he all- said bro kissed, didn't he? Jesus. Um, I might have been making it up, but fuck. Like, I, I swear I thought I, I thought I heard him, like, basically mock Matt Riddle by saying bro-kissed instead of focused. But Well, between between Riddle and, uh, yeah, Bray Wyatt tonight, the, the puns were on full display. He calls Hardy in the New Day. They're all clowns, and he's going to send them to a world of hurt. And then... The most unlikely alliance of Jeff Hardy, The New Day, and Riddle were all just hanging out. Uh, Xavier Woods tells Riddle that his idea for a show on the G4 network called Riddle Me This is probably not going to happen. Riddle suggests that since they miss Big E, I could be Bro E and be in their corner. The New Day give the most insincere uh, thumbs up to this idea. And Hardy explains to Riddle that he's down to do the Hardy bros. And Riddle is like a five-year-old excited at this approval from dad. Uh, or at least finally that he's got a friend. It seems like he's really been a loner as of late. So um, it's the stoner and the kind of the art weirdo uh, pairing up. And ultimately, I think this is like... You know, everybody on the main roster WWC fulfills some sort of like high school, I don't know, stereotype. And so here we've got these two. But I really have to say, like, I've been kind of disappointed at how they've really kind of, I don't know, uh, diluted the hurt business down to just being these high school level teenage bullies, like from the 60s. You know, like they're just like walking around the back. <laughs> Like shoving people into lockers, like dumping milk onto them, like it feels like they're about to like go go to the drive-in diner or something. Like it's just such an overly simplistic and dated way of like, 
you know, making you dislike somebody that just feels so, I don't know, unlike I think what their potential should be. Well, uh, maybe, maybe Vince McMahon just watched uh, Back to the Future and he's got a great idea for Brock Lesnar in his next uh, heel run as, as Biff. He kind of looks like Biff. He'd be a great Biff. Biff Lesnar. Who'd be Marty? Um, have to be Kushida, right? That would be the easy pick. Yeah, you could you could go with that, right? Lots of options. Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, and Jeff Hardy versus Bobby Lashley, Cedric Alexander, and Shelton Benjamin. They had the advantage on Hardy, who is still uh, dealing with an injured back after the Symphony of Destruction match where the man propelled himself off the turnbuckle through a table, landing with his neck on the steel steps. So I only have so much uh, sympathy for the symphony victim. (laughs) Self-imposed. It's like, okay, you jumped off the roof without any gun to your head, so boo-hoo, you broke your leg. He's a risk taker. The babyfaces cleared the ring. Woods played the trombone while Riddle and Jeff Hardy danced if i can call it that you you can call it that yeah kingston is in the ring after the break he's getting beaten down on at one point lashley from the apron without any effort threw this man over the top to the floor the announcers were in awe of this power and dude kingston flew he just flew over this top rope to the floor. I'm sure there was some effort involved on Kofi's part, but um, yeah, he, he he likes to fly. They're destroying Kofi. Lash is going after his eyes. Not enough people go for the eye. Kingston then uses a stomp, gets the tag to Hardy, and Cedric gets involved. He's showing a lot of aggression. Everyone's in. They're all taking turns. Kingston did his diving trust fall onto Benjamin. Woods went for a Pescado, but is caught by Lashley and run into the barricade. And Alexander goes for multiple covers on Hardy. The tag is made to Lashley right as Jeff hits the twist of fate onto Alexander. However, Lashley is legal, goes for the hurt lock, and Hardy avoids it. He goes for the whisper in the wind, but gets crotched by Alexander. And this time, Lashley can apply the hurt lock. And once again, Hardy succumbs to the submission. 15 minutes and 52 seconds. And afterward, it's Cedric Alexander celebrating on the corners, taking all the credit while the hurt business is looking at this guy. Like, what's wrong with him? (laughs) Yes. You know, a very WWE-style tag team match. Um, This one went pretty long, it felt. It, 16 minutes. Yeah, like, you know, it might go 16 minutes, but really they only save any sort of exciting portion for, like, what, I want to say the last 90 seconds. You know, the rest of the match, it's, like, all the same pace. And you see, like, this style, and now, like, with AEW, you see tag matches that are fast the entire way through for, like, an entire 10 minutes. You know, no, like really, it's it's a modern style, and you know, certainly there have been co- arguments about conservation. You know, what true work might mean, but like that argument has taken place for years. There is zero doubt seeing these matches, you know, uh, week after week, which style works and which style just bores the fuck out of me. Like this, ninety five percent of this match was just chin lock variation bullshit that we've seen for years. And that's not even mentioning how often I've seen 
New Day and Hurt Business matches together in the span of this month. So it's impossible for me to get excited for this feud. Uh, even though I know on pay-per-view there's so much talent here that I know the match will be good. But I just have no interest in, in watching it. Well, it's the repeat factor is something that AEW has never fallen into that trap where it's you're just so sick of a combination. Like they they're very good at that. Like you are not going to run those matches into the ground. Like when they, you know, when like what's a match we've seen several times, like Cody and Darby Allen, they have made when those guys have a match, it feels like it's the next there's a progress yes. between match 1 to match 2 it to match builds. 3 and not just you never feel and this this doesn't go 100% for AEW, but I will say like nine times out of 10, it's they are trying to maximize every minute of television time that they have. They've got 90 minutes and 30 of those and uh, 30 commercial minutes in the two hours. And they are using every one of those 90 minutes to get whatever they need to across. And, you know, in a, on a three hour show, a lot of it is like we've, we've got to fill segments. We've got X amount of guys and they're going to. Over the course of six weeks, they're going to have a lot of interaction, and they're going to have every conceivable six-man tag, singles match combination, and we've got to fill all these segments every Monday night. There's a definitely a real urgency about Dynamite, and you can really maybe even understand it a whole lot more by watching that WrestleNomics breakdown, where every single minute they care about, every single minute they are studying to see whether or not it is making a difference in the overall you know, uh, uh, rating that that they're getting. Whereas on Raw, it really feels like it's a game of dragging things out just to kind of fill that time. The entrances are far longer. You have a lot more video packages. And I think video packages, again, that's another argument too. I think they're actually very useful for, for most. But I mean, on these editions of Raw, sometimes they could be a bit too much. And these matches, certainly, um, they're not making best the best use of, of the airtime that they have. A lot of it just feels like it's there to take up time. Asuka is with Lana, who feels confident and believes in herself and has to face Nia Jax alone. She's scared, but Asuka gives her a pep talk. She is the bravest person that Asuka knows. The bravest person that Asuka knows. Number one, Lana. Number two, everybody else. Uh... I mean, bravery exists in in several other ways. You know, maybe maybe Oscar watched that documentary. Um, you know, sure, there's bravery there. She is proud to be Lana's partner, and gives her a big hug. So Nia Jax and Lana, there is an avalanche delivered to Lana. Oscar is seen cheering her in the back when Lana is hoisted up for a military press, countered into the. Hurricane Lana, and then Jack's head butts her, climbs up the turnbuckle for a Samoan drop, which gets countered. Lana kicks out the knee and stacks Naya to pin her in a minute 45. That would take us into the post-match where Shayna appears uh, attacking Asuka backstage while Jax takes out Lana in the ring ramming her head into the mat and Shayna joins in for a two-on-one beatdown. Lana gets hit with a leg drop and then Baszler stomps the left elbow. Lana is on the verge of tears when they contort her knee and then stomp the ankle. I will say this. Lana sold this like she was 
like literally having her ankle destroyed on live television. She looked like she was getting mauled by a bear. I thought it was actually like a worthwhile, good segment for this feud this week. You know, Lana finally got her big win, a very significant moment. And then uh, I thought a really like believable, good post-match beatdown focusing on that ankle. I would, I just feel that Naya has been the protected one in all of this, that to me, like that should be the big victory at the end. And instead this was, I just don't know if the timing was right on this Lana win, because it was certainly the afterthought by the end of this. I think they are intending for not, uh, what is it? Naya going through a table and then ultimately maybe Asuka and Lana winning the tag team titles as sort of like that big victor- victorious moment. That's That would be my sense, you know, if, if they gave Lana the win here. They tore off the wrestling boot of Lana and, again, just destroy the ankle. Nia leg drops it multiple times before Asuka recovers and makes her way into the ring. And after they announced that Lana was taken to the dreaded local medical facility and she's off of TLC, where Oscar will need to find a new partner. So I don't know if this was pure story, if there was, um, if there's an actual story behind this, because I mean, Lana was the principal character in this tag match, and now she's eliminated from it. So huh. uh, I, I don't know. This might have just been a storyline, but hopefully we'll find out. Interesting. Okay, so it, could- it just seemed abrupt, don't you think, to do yeah. this? I agree. When you were when you have the tag match in six days, and it just feels very anticlimactic. Not to like whether you are a fan of this storyline or not. Lana has been like she's the focus more than Oscar. Well, the fact that she wrestled tonight should tell you she that. did do the the match. I mean, it was short, but um, mm. I would have these two should not have had a long match like this at seven minutes would have been a terrible idea. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have looked any different at this being you know under two minutes. Seems like there's more of a story behind all this. We'll probably find out in the next day or so. Elias is in the ring and he introduces Jackson Riker. And Elias says he should have died when he was electrocuted, but instead he was baptized by lightning. And he had visions of this man. That's quite the calamity to be on the brink of death with your life flashing be before your eyes, and the vision is Jackson Riker. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have two options, Elias. It's death or it's this guy. <laughs> Jackson Riker. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Riker, I guess. <laughs> so Riker explains <laughs> Elias's music has changed him. He has been reborn. <laughs> Maybe he has a more open-mindedness, less a less ignorant view of the world, and that of which he does not understand. Uh, you know, I haven't listened to this album in full. I, I don't really know what sort of political messaging it's, it, it tries to convey, so I, I don't know. He is His breaking point has been watching Elias be interrupted disrespected and attacked and Jackson Riker is here to stop that quite the mission he's on Elias then dedicates his next song to Lana when R-Truth interrupts to apologize to Elias for interrupting him on main event last week 
The comedy is that they argued over the irony of this situation. And then the the 24-7 geeks ran out, chasing after truth, allowing for Jackson Riker to murder, murder Grand Metalik and throw Tozawa onto everyone on the floor while R-Truth runs away with the 24-7 title. Um, what, a, what an introduction to this new act of Elias and Jackson Riker. I think for an introduction for a guy like this was pretty good, you know, like they had basically fed him the 24 seven roster. Um, uh, uh, I don't know how great, how much, like, I don't know. Um, longevity, somebody being a roadie for Elias could have in its current incarnation, but he's not being portrayed as a joke. He's being portrayed as the muscle for Elias. I think it'll be helpful for Elias because Elias certainly needs a bit of a refresher, a bit of a bolster to his credibility. So um, anybody who perhaps thought that Jackson Riker wasn't going to come back, I think it kind of appears to be the opposite. Certainly it's not a prime main event role, but it's also not like a shitty role either. Is it a better role than the Knights of the Lone Wolf? I think it is. Don't you? Time will tell. Time will tell. I mean, they, they obviously feel comfortable using Jackson Riker. Um, and this this is not like a nothing role either. Like, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like he was, you know, he was, the segment was about him. It, the segment was not about Elias. Yes. Miz and Morrison are backstage. They don't like what AJ said about wanting Miz to cash in so that he doesn't have to beat Drew. And Keith Lee walked in with a coin. It's Two-Face now. Is Harvey he Dent. Flips, he flips the coin. Morrison calls heads. Lee says, you both win, but that's the only thing you're going to win. Uh, to which Miz and Morrison said, I don't know about that. And Keith Lee, Keith left. Keith leaved. Keith leaved. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. What was this coin toss for? What did he, what did he say? I don't I think it required a bit more explanation because he just came like I guess it was which one of you am I going to beat first? Oh, maybe okay. or or like I don't know. I don't it. really understand the, the coin flip um beyond it. <laughs> Is uh, this his new gimmick? He's he's the coin flip man. Well, um <laughs> I mean it's the it's the only flips that he's allowed to do these days. <laughs> oh, so yes. Very nice. Handicap match. Lee hit a a jumping spin kick to Morrison and then pounced Morrison to the floor. I think Keith Lee and Morrison on their own, I mean, without any kind of handcuffs, could probably have like a fucking great 12, 14-minute match. Uh, I think Keith Lee and The Miz in like a PWG setting will probably have an actually decent match. Like The Miz Miz walking out at the Globe Theater, (laughs) like that would be... The Miz would have it would be such an interesting independent run because I think he would be so over wherever he went if he ever decided like to just jump all in. The, and the promos would be fun. The yeah. promos would be great, and I guess it would come down to would he just be the heel working his WWE style, or would he try and work to the audience and shock? He's got to work WWE style like for the whole match. And then like the heat will be crazy. Just like chin locks, chin locks all the time. And then, yeah, but like maybe when he has to take offense, he has to really 
ramp it up, but what are we doing here? We're like fantasizing about a Miz, you know, uh, PWG indie darling run. So Miz and Morrison get back into control. They're double teaming Lee. Lee hits Morrison with Grizzly Magnum. And then goes for the vertical suplex. Miz hooks the leg of Lee, so Morrison lands on top. There's a double submission applied to Lee, who breaks free. And as he goes for the spirit bomb, it's stopped. They nail him with a series of strikes. He catches Morrison, but Miz chop blocks the knee. A lot of knee attacks on this show. Way too many, I would say. We didn't need this. (laughs) And then both jump on top of Keith Lee. One, two, I went to right kick out. But they counted three, (laughs) and John Morrison and The Miz, the guys that have been put through the ringer against Drew McIntyre, pin Keith Lee in 10 minutes. Keith Lee looked pissed afterward, but what did he have to be pissed about? You entered into a handicap match, and they really didn't do anything nefarious other than work by the rules that they were allowed to engage in. It was two-on-one. It was two-on-one, yeah. Didn't hit him with a pipe. They didn't use any weapons. He chop-blocked the knee, and they jumped on top of him. That coin flip did, didn't seem so intimidating anymore. No. Yeah. I thought this was um, a dramatic loss here for Keith Lee. So I, I don't know if they're they're looking to turn Keith Lee or what they're doing with him, but this is, um, <laughs> I don't know. Anytime- it's, it's, the, it's the age-old, well, can't get over as a baby face. Let's, let's turn him. Anytime, like, anytime it's going to be a shocking- company of heels. Anytime a shocking booking decision takes place for a baby face that we think should be pushed, we think it's leading to a heel turn. Like, that's sort of the how we think they'll salvage it. There's no other reason why they would do it, right? It's possible that that could happen, you know. There's but, two baby faces in this company that they can't get wrong. Drew McIntyre and Rey Mysterio. Beyond that, and even Rey they've been testing of late. Oh, you're forgetting Dominic. Well, Dominic's the eternal baby face. Yeah. And yeah, who knows? Like certainly months ago, when Keith Lee was still new and they were still enamored w- with him, he was well protected in situations like this. This would have never ever happened. So something has changed for Keith Lee. Is it to set up a different storyline for him? Is it something to lead to some form of character growth, or is he simply the coin flipping detective now backstage uh, who just kind of meddles in other people's stories um, and occasionally wrestles on main event? Uh, who knows? I don't know what's going on with Keith Lee. Bray Wyatt has his big field trip with the puppets. He comes out in a fiend Christmas sweater, and the puppets are around the barricade. He apologizes to Randy Orton for last week, and all of you watching till the end of the third hour last week for that finish. We were having the time of our lives, and sometimes he has a sad and sick mind of his own, and he's not sure what will be left for Orton after TLC. No fun and games, just sadness and pain, which were apt descriptions of this program. So he's prepared some jokes, some jokes for Randy that he says will be hysterical. What is the best way to measure a viper? These were Bray's meanderings. Inches. Because they don't have any feet. What do snakes use to clean car windows? Windshield vipers. So as Bray morphed into Brandon from New Jersey, what I was observing was the fact that 
this was done as a babyface promo because as you look at the instructed reactions on the screens, they had all of these fans laughing like utter fools at all of these jokes. This was supposed to be funny. Like that's how this was supposed to be received by the audience. That's really concerning to me. Uh, the fact that somehow somebody thought that this would be, you know, call it, these would be qualities that would somehow endear a character to an audience. I really cannot tell you who I'm supposed to be cheering for in all of this. Like Bray is pretty much doing like a complete, you know, Joker, uh, basically type of character. Um, and Randy Orton, I think to me comes across as the far more likable person. Don't you? He's the Batman in all of this, trying to solve the riddles. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, some some noble people are pushed to the brink of, of murdering another man. But after this segment, which died its own death, I thought that, you know, maybe maybe lighting uh, this man on fire was, you know, Randy's natural reaction to this segment. Well, it worked the last time, didn't it, for Randy? It, it does take a few tries to kill Bray Wyatt. So Orton interrupts him on the screen. This was utter horrendous, like, writing. Uh, just a terrible segment, especially when you compound it to the fact that you're led to the direction that Bray is supposed to be a babyface here. It was awful. Randy discusses looking the devil in the eye. The Fiend gave him the chance last week. After he hit Bray with the RKO, the Fiend appeared out of nowhere. And for the first time in a while, Randy was outmaneuvered. Well, that won't happen at TLC or tonight, so he suggests playing hide-and-seek. Bray accepts and says, let the games begin. And boy, did this third hour kick off with a bang. This was our hook to stay around for the rest of the show. Would these two find one another? Made me miss Raw Underground. Maybe we can have a weekly hide-and-seek. Yeah, um... None of these segments, honestly, um, this entire feud, I think, has been pretty flat. So um, we'll see what they do on Sunday. The SmackDown promo, they're on FS1 this week. It's the final setup for Reigns and Owens, and Sasha Banks will respond to the vicious champagne bottle attack by Carmella. Plus, we they didn't mention the promo, but we, but we have the tag title match on Friday. Oh, uh, profits and street, street profits against the dirty dogs. Okay, is that what they're actually going by? The huh? the the ace dogs. Sure. Okay. Cool. Gets better. Mace versus Ricochet. Ali tells Mace to remind them that they made us. Mace says, for years, people like Ricochet stepped over him and tonight he will get stepped on seriously like ricochet was the one holding you down politically ricochet this this political tyrant that has just cut people off at the knees to gain his own career standing i mean look at this guy ricochet look look at this wealth of creative uh uh, of solid found foundation that this man's career rests upon at this moment. Yeah. He looks like a politician. Um, is that, is that Nash or is that Ricochet? I can't even tell the <laughs> difference here. Ali was on commentary. He 
said that the terrible booking is propaganda by Tom Phillips. They were just hiccups in our road. And then this was the most mystifying part of this match. I can't tell you what happened in this match other than the ending. Ali asks Samoa Joe, aren't you the one sitting in Mace's chair? And I was like, what? So now, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Reckoning loses her mask. And we can't identify who this woman is. But now, Mace, this guy Mace, is flat out identified as Dio Madden. And I I would wish I could be next to the one guy at home, and probably multiple people, that had this epiphany that, oh, shit, this is the that announcer that was here for a minute before Brock murdered him. So now in story that we know Mace is Dio Madden. Sure. That was clearly spelt out here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, I mean, all the retribution gimmicks are people who are supposed to be fed up with being in NXT and not getting called up. And thus they now they're take, hiding their faces. They, they hide their faces. They're taking on new identities, but they still somewhat retain, I guess, their backstory of being former NXT performers. Then so, shouldn't that backstory be explained? Well, they do explain it, but you're right. Like, they, I think it would have. Like, what is what is Donovan Dijak's gripe? That I he wasn't was brought never... on TV in enough time. I was, yeah. you know, I finished at Bola, and then they didn't put me on NXT for a year. Well, yeah, like that. They've never been called up. Like that's ultimately what Retribution wants Retribution for, I guess. Right, being overlooked. I I don't think it would have hurt to simply have. A... And the undisputed era have a hell of a gripe whenever they get here. I would much uh... rather take that group being the. Uh, the group that's been overlooked and and stuck in in hell on Wednesday nights, God, struggling I, to get our eighteen to thirty four number up. Yeah, I really hope not. But um, you know, if it's startling, it's because I think when they initially like when Retribution finally cut their big promos, they maybe a bit more kind of allusion to like who they each were and who they each used to be in NXT would have been somewhat helpful for a transition. You know, like, how many people know that Shane Thorne is Slapjack? I guess how many people even know that Shane Thorne is Shane Thorne? Like, <laughs> some of these guys... I bet are... you plenty of people don't know that... I bet you plenty of people don't know who Dio Madden is, period. Oh, I, yes, Like, yeah. the guy was on commentary for, what, two months? I mean, it was a really small remark, I think, from Ali, just, you know, maybe even improvised, just to kind of add a bit more realism with the Samoa Joe sitting there. Um but I guess in, you, you can tell in, what is it, in at least Ali's mind, yeah, these are all people with real names, or at least like former former character names. Guy's trying his best, but this is, this is a dead end. So Ali instructs Mace to shut him down, and he hit a spinning slam to Ricochet off the shoulders, and Ricochet was pinned in two minutes and 56 seconds. Afterwards, Retribution subdue Ricochet, and Ali tells him, this doesn't end until I say it ends, and it ends when you join Retribution. Yes, they want the master politician Ricochet to uh, join the, the group of rebels, yeah. Um, I don't know, I, I just, I don't sense there's any saving this group, whether or not Ricochet is a part of them, um... It's not exactly a feud that I think has been making anybody look good, you know, Ricochet included. Yeah, what's Ricochet's name going to be if he joins Retribution? T-Man? T-Man? <laughs> Why? Trevor Man. 
Oh, T-Man. Okay. I feel like they could do better than that. Maybe he'll. Maybe he's going to do an unscripted promo and say, I lied on 365. That was the longest year of my damn life. I'm not happy to be here. I'm counting down the days, which is exactly the whole premise of 365. I can't wait till the next 365's up. I I mean, we are at that point. With your, I know you're joking, John, but like we're at that point where like a heel turn would would sorely help, you know, Ricochet because for some reason. Oh, oh, who who's who's saying it now, way? Well, uh, the baby faces that hit a roadblock turn them heel. Exactly. This well, is all these baby faces. Yeah, it's like they they all get squandered and then it's turn them heel. And it's like I, I understand if like you hit a roadblock with I don't know. uh Tucker, okay, like yeah, the Tucker babyface push. Fuck, we tried everything we could. It's not working. Turn the man heel. This is Ricochet. You know, like I don't know how you could fuck up a babyface push for a guy like Ricochet, but they they somewhat they somehow have. So um, I think a heel turn would actually be really refreshing. You know, a bit of attitude with the guy at this point. Hopefully not in retribution, but um, I don't know. We'll see. Hey, this weekend they're putting out. A new Chronicle. I think they drop these like every weekend. Uh, but the Chronicle this weekend is with Kevin Owens, which I'm sure that's going to be great. I think Owens is perfect for those specials. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Just uh, what is he going to be talking about? What's a chronicling this past year? Yeah, which I mean, if it's chronicling all the COVID stuff, I mean, I I imagine we're like, he's a guy that, you know, is is very open and honest about, you know, when asked about stuff, like whatever they cover, I imagine it'll be pretty engaging stuff given the subject. Um, I can bet you it'll probably be um, worth watching, um, maybe more worth watching than whatever is to come on next week's Raw, but I could be wrong. Bray is in search of Randy Orton, and we got the meeting of Bray Wyatt and Riddle. Hey, bro. No, it's Bray. He teaches Bray about pronouns. This has got to stop. He put up some Venn diagram. Bray effed off. And then Riddle had a conversation with Ramblin' Rabbit. Okay, first I was trying to understand this like Venn diagram of, of pronouns. So Didn't even try. In one circle, it said bros. And then the other circle said people who talk. And and then the middle, it was his target market or target demographic. So what exactly was he trying to suggest? And what, what sort of, like, what, what, is, what, what, what was the pronoun aspect of it? The pronoun aspect of it. Um, so he, he should be talking less? <laughs> so, okay. So he wants, like people who talk and people who also say bros to just say bros more to be more talkative (laughs) come up with more puns (laughs) not sure i don't know i'm not sure i was like i tried to think about this if you, you know listeners if you have an explanation please let us know he told ramblin rabbit and dude, this is the segment where I'm I'm really like I'm really being pushed here to find the logic in all of our work. 
he says that Ramblin' Rabbit reminds him of Baby Yoda. And there's our opening. Baby Broda. And asks Ramblin' Rabbit to sign a carrot for his rabbit. Skipper. Hey, Skipper, which is a callback. He introduced the, the the rabbit Skipper when he tried to name AJ Styles Skipper because he AJ Styles reminds him of his rabbit. Yep. So, yep. This is a character that eventually has to show up. Well, I I respect the fact that it shows some like I don't know uh, some that some, he didn't rename the fictional rabbit. Well, it shows some knowledge of his own prior history of this character's long deep history. You long know? deep history. This was three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. Shayna Baszler and Dana Brooke. This, this is where they explain Oscar needs a new partner for TLC. Brooke avoided the Kirafuda clutch. She's attacking Baszler when Jax just gets on the apron, attacks Dana, and she's disqualified in 90 seconds. Uh, didn't even get started. And Mandy Rose runs down with a kendo stick to attack. Baszler drills her with a knee. Oscar runs in to attack Baszler. The baby faces clear the ring. Uh, Mandy went for a flying knee that. Left a little to be desired, but they cleared the ring nonetheless, and that's how the segment ended. So I feel they left you with the idea that it won't be Mandy or Dana as the partner, and I guess we'll see who shows up. They're going to be on Raw Talk, I believe, these two, right? Right. So maybe we'll get an announcement at that point. Um, Yeah, uh, I wonder what's going on with this Lana thing. R-Truth is talking to a mysterious person that he got a PlayStation 6. His six-year-old nephew got into detention, and he's revealed to be speaking with Huskus. Bray informs Huskus not to speak with strangers, and R-Truth assumes that Bray and Huskus are father and son. Yeah, somebody thought this was amusing. Somebody thought this was cute. Um, Wasn't us. R-Truth can get away with these segments, but on this night, there was way too much that I was just, uh, I couldn't, I did not have the capacity. I was, I was underwater and I was just reaching for a life preserver by this point in Raw. Bray was seen searching again for Orton and he just stumbles upon a dark room that had a well-lit rocking chair. So Bray walked in and sat down on the rocking chair. Orton appears in the shadows this was a very well, uh, well lit room for the reveal of Randy. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying. <laughs> Bray is thrown into a box, a large box resembling a casket. And like most uh, storage areas, there's an open container of gasoline nearby. Bray apparently was unconscious after he was thrown into the box. So he didn't put up any kind of a fight. And Randy poured the gasoline over the box and then pulled out his Zippo lighter, presumably from his trunks that he's always wearing and torches the box. But the fiend appears out of the box, which is what this segment was really presenting. Out of the box. Out of the box thinking. (laughs) He uh, puts the mandible claw on Randy Orton, and I shut down my laptop for the night. 
Yeah, I mean, this feud really has been very unimaginative, I have to say. You know, um, it's just been a generic fiend feud. Despite all the history that I think they have to draw from, I think there was like one promo in the in, in the midst of this month that I actually saw some glimmer of hope about. Like it was all about like what Alexa saying, "Oh, uh, you think the fiend has a weakness, and that weakness is me." Well, you're wrong. He has no weak. I don't know. Some something some like the Alexa aspect. I think for whatever reason has just not been brought up at all. Uh, isn't she doing a movie? Well, she, she hasn't been on TV. She wasn't there last week, and she wasn't back again this week. She's doing a movie or something. Right? Like, I don't know what the deal is with, with Alexa. Okay, well, unfortunately, that's kind of like resulted in this feud just somehow becoming completely, completely generic. All of these segments, the 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 big high point is, oh shit, the fiend is here! Oh my god, he disappeared, and then uh, Bray Wyatt's gone, and the fiend is here. Like that's supposed to be shocking to us by this point. It's just um, the the sad thing is. They are playing this so slow. I think they're definitely going to do another match after TLC. Uh, and I just, I mean, at this level, I don't know if I could take another month. Oh, well, that's uh, sobering. MVP and Riddle. Uh, Phillips, <laughs> Tom Phillips, God bless the professional here at the booth. Um, after watching the near death of a man says, we're going to do our best to focus on the action for the rest of the show so they just moved on they're like you know he's fine it, riddle just hidden wrestling oh. i mean these things do tend to happen i mean guys fall off buildings uh tim white commits suicide you got to move on you've got a show to fulfill these these television rights don't pay for themselves riddle hits mvp with the final flash the floating bro and he wins in 48 seconds lashley chases off riddle no announcement of a match between these two, which I guess they're just going to save for TV. Um, and Riddle had some bro nuts, but I don't know. P- part of me is just, I hate to see MVP having to be used as the fall guy, but I guess in certain situations, you're not beating Cedric and Shelton. Lashley is the ultimate destination for Riddle. And that's kind of how MVP falls into th- this role, getting beaten 48 seconds. I just, I just wish that there were, you know, he could kind of be, it should be a big deal, I think, when MVP is, you know, the babyface finally gets to MVP rather than him just being, you know, the guy that loses in a minute. See, I actually see MVP as, like, the manager and therefore the guy who should be losing. The guy who should, you know, um, theoretically be the worst wrestler of the three, of the four, I mean. Well, I, I think that's fine, but I think MVP should be untouchable until a point. Like, much like, you know, the Pat McAfee role. It's that... You know, you he's not the setup. He's and not to say MVP should be the guy everything's built around, but to me it's like this is just throwaway nothing. And I think you could actually like MVP is the guy that talks all this all this this game up and you know the baby faces should have to work to finally get their hands on MVP who's got all the muscle surrounding them. I mean in this dynamic with this group, it feels like that role is more like Lashley, you know, the guy who nobody can beat. And the guy who poses the biggest challenge for Matt Riddle, whereas that story of like a manager finally like kind of getting his comeuppance is 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 a good one too. But I just don't really see that to be being the dynamic for the hurt business. It's fine. Like this, this was hardly the uh, the biggest atrocity or anything like that. But um, yeah, I guess they're just going to keep like Riddle. This pay per view does not need any more matches on Sunday, so 
you know, put this on TV at he's, some point. He's a guy who still needs needs to be established right now, and um, yeah, he's not really needed on the pay per view. Although I could see him kind of like you know them putting him in a match on the kickoff or something like that. I didn't hate this. I think you know Riddle is a guy who could use a quick quick squash like this. To me, like man, this bro nuts thing. I think for anybody who I don't know how people I, I'm willing to bet most people watching and listening to us hate it, but I think for a mainstream WWE audience, I think it works for him. Like they're his version of Budios. They are giving this guy plenty of airtime and doing a whole lot to try to convey some level of personality for him, even though that personality is a guy who's simply reduced to just you know puns. Um, but he, he they're making a big effort. I have to say to like oh they're know, behind this guy. This, this is this is not some punishment or anything like that. They clearly see um value in riddle and they are enjoying this presentation of riddle yes backstage walking to the ring for the ascension ceremony is the scottish warrior drew mcintyre not identified as the scottish psychopath yeah pauline reminded me that like isn't that guy the scottish psychopath i had certainly forgotten about that nickname so I guess he he he's been to therapy, gotten like plenty of treatment. He's gotten rid of his psychopath psychopathy. Hard to call this guy a psychopath when two segments earlier we're watching guys trying to light the other on fire. I think Drew like what was psychopathic about the old Drew McIntyre even? Um, he'd headbutt people. Still does that. Um. Anyway, he's now the the Scottish warrior instead of the Scottish psychopath. So, as much as they love the alliteration, I guess um, Scottish warrior. I don't know. It's about as best as you can do right now. Tom Phillips hosted the ascension ceremony, a ceremony that would consist of putting the title onto a hook and raising it to the roof. Now, unlike prior ascension ceremonies that they they do enjoy these come TLC time, you actually have it where it can stay in one place all week if you wanted to. We're not we're not moving locations like in other ones where okay, why are we raising it here? I it's doubt not just symbolic. I doubt it'll be there for Smackdown though. Well, maybe it's raised higher. They are in a stadium. Uh Okay. Nonetheless, our excuse to have these two talk to each other. Uh, AJ and Drew are out. Styles says, we've never faced each other. Never had a one-on-one match. Fuck you, Pollock. He says that he mocks him for needing 19 years to finally win the WWE title. Because for AJ, it took him like 17. Uh, <laughs> You can't handle the pressure. That's why you lost the title to Randy Orton, which was hell of a logic for a guy that had like a 240-day title reign. Um, at least we didn't have to go to the very tired, you got fired. You had to go work in TNA bit, which would have been rich coming from this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Drew says that since regaining the title, he has changed. I'm not a psychopath any longer. AJ says... You're taking too many risks. You've never had a TLC match before. I have. I defended my title in a TLC match, and I won. And I sent him packing, you damn Moxley. 
Didn't get a name drop here of who he beat. Could have been an easy zinger. Mm. Yes. Drew points out that the people have wanted to see you and I have this match. It's finally going to happen on Sunday. And says he has realized his goal was not to become champion. It was to remain champion. He led WWE through uncharted times. I'm a diamond that doesn't crack under pressure. Every man dies, but not every man truly lives. I will do anything to remain champion. Are you willing to do the same? And before AJ could respond, we got some dramatic music for the raising of the title into the heavens. And then AJ asked, what if you don't have to just face me in a TLC match? And with that, Miz and Morrison stormed the ring, attacking Drew. And Drew just fights off all three of them. He throws the ladder in his weekly object that he throws. Almost then tosses the steps in and almost hit Drew. AJ, see, that's how you do a funny pun. (laughs) AJ clips his knee and hits the phenomenal forearm, attacks Drew with a ladder, with a chair, and then sets up a table where he comes off the ladder with an elbow drop, climbs the ladder, grabs the belt. The man's got momentum. He's got bragging rights. And now he's got the fucking belt going into TLC. And that's how the show ended. I was partially confused that they were going to do a three-on-one handicap match for Sunday. That's kind of how they positioned this which actually would have made sense out of Miz and Morrison winning their handicap match earlier. But God, did I not want that to be the outcome? Well, I imagine there, there will be some sort of involvement with Miz and Morrison. They've been all over. This I think hundred percent, but I think that really waters it down if they had promoted it as a handicap match. Oh, for God. No. Yeah, no. I, I, but that's really like you were left with like that. Like they made it sound like that was a possibility. I mean, I sense more. It was there to like, you know, first of all, the money in the bank tees. Also the idea that like, you know, AJ is going to have help with him in the form of these three other people on Sunday. Um, I thought it was a really great promo from Drew, you know, at the end of this, like first year of his title reign uh, at the end of this really weird year of 2020, he, I would say has, Definitely, like, earned, you know, this one-liner to his biography. And he said it here. He's, he's, to me, found the thing that makes him stand out amongst all the other champions that have come before. He is the guy who will forever be remembered as the guy who WWE, um, I guess, pushed as their top star through this global pandemic. And the character himself says he's the guy who led WWE through the uncharted waters of this past year. And he never cracked under that pressure. He's a diamond. So I I thought it was like a great little bit of like, you know, heroic speech from Drew here. And I used to have like doubts about how Drew would play in front of a live crowd, even though we haven't had that moment yet. I think just like seeing this dude's skill, um, it, you know, the look, the in-ring ability and like the confidence and his ability to l- deliver promos like these. I mean, I don't doubt that at all anymore. I think he'd be very over, even with the crowd. I think this guy, I mean, he's like, look at all these baby faces that we've talked about mm-hmm. th- this year that have just, I mean, I don't think there's a harder company to get over as a top baby face. And he's done it this year. And it's mo- the more frustrating because for all the criticism we may levy, they have hit a home run with through this year. I mean, granted, I don't, I don't think it's just one-sided. Like the guy has lived up to the push, which has been significant this year. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, they have got everything right with Drew. He was the right call to make this year for the Rumble. He was the right call to go with. He has risen to the occasion. He has been he's been a great promo. His matches have delivered. I, I can't say one bad thing about Drew McIntyre this year. They picked the right guy to put this on, and he gets to be the answer to the trivia question that will never be uh, he will never be unseated from of who had a six month title run and drew zero paid fans through <laughs> McIntyre. I will say, like in hindsight, the maybe title loss to Orton is a bit perplexing, but I do like the way that like even the character here explained that away as a part of his growth process. In that he he used to think that he his goal was to be WWE champion, but upon losing and winning back the title, it made him realize that his goal was to stay champion. So. I like the lines because it shows that this is like an evolved Drew McIntyre from what the one that we had back in April. So um, it, it also proved, I mean, they drew like for, for a third hour, like that, that show that they held that audience and that that's certainly a feather in both of their caps. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, absolutely agreed. You know, even the loss to Roman Reigns, I think that was absolutely the right move for both Roman Reigns and for Drew McIntyre because it gives him something to chase. That is actually, you know, Someone who's better than him, or at least on that that day was able to beat him. So, um, yeah, I completely agree. They've done good by him. Yeah, I would definitely say this. Uh, the last segment I thought was was the strongest thing on the show. Uh, the rest, um, man, I, th- I thought the comedy was way too much tonight, and it was bad comedy. Uh, a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I thought this was a pretty poor go-home show. Uh, other than, I mean, this was not all that different from SmackDown, where I... I it's the the positive is that the two things working are your biggest matches for Sunday, uh, but it's to me it's a two match show on Sunday. Um, but that those will also be you know the lion's share of the show. Like those TLC matches are going to get a ton of time. So I mean, if you're going to have you know, one program clicking on both shows, you're happy it's the title program, which I think they've they've largely done well with. Agreed. So let's go on over to the forum. Um, I'm sure this is a specific uh, show that will draw a lot of uh, feedback from people. But let's see what everyone had to say first off about the show itself. A 3.67 for tonight's Raw. It's within the usual range for Raw. Well, um, man, just uh, loads of uh, thoughts here on the show. We start with Paul from New Jersey. If it's two things I know about WWE, they love their Austin Powers references and saying the word bitch. I don't know what to make of the show. Pretty bland. If there were live crowds, what do you think the reception would be for The Fiend? Some of the stuff is pretty dire. Um, I think they would, depending on the crowd, obviously, depending on the the the, the, the town, um, I certainly think there'd be a, a lot of room for backlash. I certainly don't feel like they would be cheering for the fiend and booing Randy. You don't Orton. think they'd all be howling with laughter like the people on the screens tonight? You don't think? I don't think so. I think if he tried to cut that promo live tonight, it would just be met with either boos or just complete silence. So I, I really don't know what they're thinking. If the the idea in in fact is to push the fiend here as the babyface, I think that is the goal. But man, is it missing the mark? Like I, I. It's it's a pretty poor program. We get a Kate from Montreal who says, A medical issue means that I've been taking drugs that leave me pretty woozy, so that might be the reason I found the opening sequence entertaining, if silly. What I found a lot less funny was bringing back Jackson Riker, who's referred to Black Lives Matter as garbage, and immediately showing off his power by blowing through an Asian person 
and a Latino person. Um, it, it, controversies like these deserve to be brought up because a man is who he has portrayed himself to be on the internet. So, yeah. Has not addressed the comments. These were public comments. This is not hearsay. Everyone saw the comments he made. There's been no, uh, you know, no apology for them, no and no addressing of them, period. So you're going to bring back a character. Guess what? You are going to have to levy or you have to deal with that criticism. Yeah. Completely understand that. Mm-hmm. And that is all, everyone. Not a not not a whole lot of uh, feedback here to tonight's Raw, which you is know, fine. You, I mean, I, I think it's just a poor B-level pay-per-view cycle that doesn't have many people's interest, but maybe it's just like just waiting interest in the show in general. And does this give you any impression of what the rating might be like for this? Or do you think it just kind of stays within range? Um, I, God, I, I found last week's show to be a real struggle to get through. And I thought equally this week, and and that's not just the typical three hour fatigue that comes with raw. I thought, I think it's been pretty noticeable that just so few programs and characters are, are clicking on this show. Um, I think they've all below last week, uh, last week's number. Mm-hmm. Like, I I can't imagine that third hour having any reason to retain anyone. So I don't know if it falls below 1.5 million in hour three, but I I could see it definitely being below what last week's uh, did. I think so too. It's just not been there. Have been no programs that I think have really kind of you know that have made anybody excited. Honestly, like even looking towards SmackDown, um, what do we have here? We've got the Sasha and Carmella. To me, that's not a very enticing feud at all. Um, Reigns and Owens will be good for the in-ring. I can't really say it's been all that. They've had good segments, but to me, it's not a hot program on the level of somebody, something like, say, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. The story has not. Not at that level, but I really don't have any qualms with, with, with that feud. It's been fine. It's been, it's been, and I'm sure the in-ring will far, ex, you know, will, will be excellent. So I look forward to that, but um, maybe we'll go through a full card rundown on uh, Friday. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for Friday. They have six matches announced now. Given two of them are TLC matches, I see no reason for any additional matches beyond probably the kickoff match that they'll throw on. Um, because th- those TLC matches, I, I think, will get a lot of time. Uh, as will likely the, the Fiend and Orton. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we've like got. Probably with some ridiculous finish. If you think it's going to be extended, they'll probably do some hocus pocus finish with them. Mm-hmm. No more uh, stipulation matches, though. Just the TLC matches. Just the TL the two TLC matches, which I, I am not complaining. I, I never feel we need the tables match, the ladder match. Remember the year they had to put the stairs match in there? Tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs. Of course, who could forget? The only one would be the Naya match, but now with Lana there, yeah, you almost don't really need the step at all. What if Wardlow and Jake Hager steal the gimmick and they have a stair match? Oh, a staring contest. Yes. First one to blink. That sounds like an AEW inner circle segment for sure. That should totally be a BTE championship match as a staring contest. Some of these guys could go pretty pretty long, so you'd either have to edit it or it'd be a pretty long episode of that should be AEW Dark. Really. They did the they did the BTE championship match today and Brandon Cutler's camera screwed up and they lost the footage and they had to redo the contest. Oh no. Wow. It was John Silver against, um, oh, 
I'm blanking on the the opponent. It was one of the regulars on Dark, and they had to throw Skittles to <laughs> land closest to the crack on the sidewalk without falling into the crack. And John Silver won it when they lost the footage, and then he won again. Oh, thank goodness! Like for the that. man's got an immense talent for winning, like mustard pa- pack throwing or throwing skittles i mean the guy retains this thing every week and these are legitimate games this is his show he's taken over like it and clearly deserves it you know he 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 deserves that championship so um <laughs> every cameraman's worst nightmare is like losing footage so i i feel for your brandon cutler do you recall ever losing something significant um I'm sure it's happened, you know, and usually the best thing to do at that point is like to just see if it could be redone as soon as possible or just like to to fess up and, you know, tell whoever was responsible for, um, I don't know, being being on camera or like I'm sure like I've had instances where starting out maybe like a really important interview was lost and you just like you do what you can to make up for it. And in the end, if it can't be saved, then it can't be saved. Um, you know, you've been through it. We've been through it, you know, with podcasting. It's, yep. it's the worst feeling. Um, it's an awful feeling when it comes to interviews. I lost one that I did in person with Randy Orton that I just was just fuming about that. I screwed up and it didn't record properly. And then, and then he put th- you this- in a fucking box and lit you on fire. Oh, I, I wanted to put myself in a box and light it on fire after I l- realized I lost it. Um, I did it at the Air Canada Center, and then I'm going back to listen, and it's it's not there. It's just the worst feeling. And then one time, another in-person interview I did with Kane when he was promoting – it might have been promoting See No Evil. I can't remember what he was promoting. But I did the interview, and midway through, I'm seeing some kind of flashing on my player – and I'm just kind of looking at it and hoping it's not a major problem. So number one, that's very difficult. It's like you're doing the interview and you're not 100% sure it's being recorded. It's awful. Mm. I finished the interview. It's like 12 minutes or so. It's not very long. And I listen back, totally dead. It's like the power has like short-circuited on it. It was like the batteries were dying. He's going with the WWE rep to the elevator at our office. I run over. And I say, listen, I'm so sorry. The interview didn't record. Is there any way we could redo it? And Kane just looks at the rep. He says, let's do it again. And I, I was like, I am so thankful. Earned and I, I, did, I did an entirely different interview with him. I didn't ask one, one of the questions. I already asked him because I could not possibly put this man through the pain of having to regurgitate the same answers over again. But I was completely indebted that he uh, held up like this guy was on a schedule. He had to go to all these different spots and he was willing to do another like 10, 15 minutes with me. Look at this. The the devil's favorite son. Pollock's favorite son as well. There you go. (laughs) I don't know. So then if I was really on the ball after the second interview, I would have made a joke. Oh shit. I, I didn't record this one either. (laughs) He would have punched me. So I was probably good. I didn't do that. All right. Uh, hopefully this saved, and hopefully we will be uh, chatting with all of you on Tuesday. We've got the Ask Away Mailbag Show coming out. Andrew Thompson's putting out an interview with uh, independent star Anthony Henry, 
And then an impact review Tuesday night with Davey Portman and Andrew Thompson as well. So you can check all of that stuff out at postwrestling.com. Again, the jingle contest. Get your submissions in by Thursday at noon. Forum.postwrestling.com. Way, uh, you mentioned to me earlier you wanted to close the show with what announcement? Um, I, um, uh, I, I've been really enjoying, um, uh, smoothies, winter smoothies. So, um, frozen fruits, everybody, frozen fruits, you know, I've learned are actually sometimes even more nutritional than fruits that have been sitting in the grocery store because uh they're frozen at the point of the, of of most ripeness so uh even though it's a winter period you know always always down for a good smoothie recipe so if you have them let me know <laughs> all right that's it <laughs>